The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit MorningstarDayton.org. Well, good morning once again. Um, it's, it's good to be back from vacation. I really appreciate the church allowing us to have that time away down in Florida. I, I did learn one thing I, uh, I didn't know, but my, your, sun, your lips can be sunburned, but apparently mine did. I grew up in Texas. I, I, my lips have never been sunburned, but I, huge blisters now that showed up. Like I got burnt one day on my lip, and that's pretty painful. I'm just not going to lie to you. You just, like, to talk, like, your lips move when you talk, so that kind of hurts a little bit. But it's crazy. Like, I've never happened before, so, but I learned that, so I'll never, never, ever happen again, because next time we're going to vacation in Alaska. So, um... Now my wife would kill me. We're not going to Alaska. Uh, but man, I'm excited to have you here this morning. And uh, this is our last session on, on Who's Your One. And the first week we looked at this, we talked about how Jesus has called us to follow him and everything that that means. If we're going to follow Jesus, it means we need to imitate Christ. We need to have the mind of Christ. And, and he was concerned and he was focused on people and introducing people to eternal life uh, through God the Father. And the second week we looked at as a church, we're going to be intentional. We're going to invite and we're going to invest. And we finished that week too by challenging everybody in our church that before the end of the year, we're all going to invite one person to come to church. We're going to find one and just invite them. That before the end of the year, we're going to find a family or a person in our neighborhood. We're going to invite them into our home and start a relationship uh, with them. And that before the end of the year, we're all going to find one person and take them out to coffee or lunch uh, and start a conversation because it's all about that one. And I love I, I talked to Adam this morning, Adam Cunningham, and he, he said, I could definitely share this with you guys today that um, after the message two weeks ago and going through this whole thing of who's your one is his was his uncle. And they went yesterday to go put some flooring in for his uncle and God provided the opportunity. And listening to him talk this morning, it was amazing how God started that conversation. And then Adam and his dad were there and they were actually able to lead his uncle to saving faith in Jesus Christ yesterday. And I'm excited about that. That is awesome. And because he was looking for it, he found his one and now he's gotta go find another one. And so that's exactly how that works. And so I just want to, listen, God start. if we're intentional about doing this, God's going to bring those moments to us, those opportunities to us. We just got to have our eyes open and ready for it, right? And uh, man, that's exciting. And then on the third week, we looked at, we talked about the reality of hell, that hell is real and that that should bother us as believers, that there is a place of eternal separation from God and that we should be motivated then that we don't want anybody to go there. And it should urge us on, not that we can do anything to keep them from going there. That's, like, that's God's work but that our work is to be the voice and to share that message. And so we looked at that last week, and this week we're going to tie it all together with this whole idea of reaching people, seeing those around us and being intentional with them, building relationships, inviting them, and investing all hinges around this idea of obedience. It really comes down to one word, which is obedience. And so again, this morning I'm going to ask the question, who's your one? Who are you going after? Who has God laid on your heart to share your story with, to share your testimony with? Because there is a heaven, there is a hell, and there's a choice to be made. And we're going to be in James, the book of James, which is actually a letter. So you can go ahead and turn to James chapter 1 or pull it up on your phone. This is a letter written by James, a follower of Christ. And he's writing this letter to believers. It's very important we understand the context of this letter. He's writing to a group of believers, but even more specifically, He's writing to a group of believers who had been Jews. 
So they were Jews and they came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters to Gentile believers. James is writing this letter specifically to Jewish believers. And we got to remember that, that they are believers. And look in James chapter 1, verse 19. He said, my dearly loved brother. So we know his audience. And he said also um, at the beginning, but he's talking to believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. Now, save you, he's not talking about salvation as in like, okay, now I'm going to heaven. He's talking about rescuing you out of this lifestyle of who you used to be, okay? He's not talking about salvation there. And then he says in verse... Uh, 21, again, it said, ridding yourselves all moral filth, evil excess, humbly receiving the implanted word, which is able to save you. And look in verse 22. I love this. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. All right, so there's a lot in that verse. All right, so be doers of the word. The verb in that verse is the word be. It means to become to develop in yourself something, all right? It's to become something you're not. So basically he's telling them, but be doers, become doers, because he's talking to a group of people who are not doers of the word. So there's, a, there's an understanding here that who he's talking to is not doing something. So he says, but become, develop this in your life that you're a doer of the word. And that word doer is uh, poietes in the Greek, and it actually means performer. It means performer. The root word of that actually means poet. Someone who is given a script, somebody who is performing is giving a script and they get up and they act out, they act out that script, they tell a story with their performance. And I love that he uses that word. And we're gonna come back to that here in just a minute. But he says, be doers, be performers of the word. Now, what's he talking about word? What's that word mean? In the Greek, it's logos. And what it means, obviously we can say, okay, well, this is word, this is the Bible, God's word to us, but that word logos is the same Greek word that's used in John chapter one, where it says, in the beginning was the word, was a logos, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. So here's the word picture James uses. You ready for it? He says, become performers of Christ. Become performers of Christ. Be performers of the word. In other words, we've been given a script, Right? We've been given a story to tell, and James says, become, develop it in yourself that you are actually performing that. You're living out Christ. Perform that. Not like actors we see in Hollywood. That's not what he's talking about, okay? It's like we've been given the story, so perform it. We've been given the story to tell, so tell it. And he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And I love that part where he says deceiving yourself because the danger of just hearing the word, the danger of just hearing about Christ and not doing it is what happens is if I'm not putting into practice what the word of God is telling me and what I'm hearing, then what happens is I start to change what I'm hearing. See, what happens is I can read it or it can be preached or taught to me. And if I'm not doing it, if I'm not performing it, if I'm not living it out, then I have the ability to be a selective listener. Those of you who have kids, you know what I'm talking about when I say selective hearing, right? Like you can say, hey, we're going to go to King's Island. Man, they hear that, right? They're in the car ready to go. Hey, we're going to get some ice cream. They're all about that. But when you say go clean your room, all of a sudden, I didn't hear you say that, right? Because they have selective hearing. 
And we do that with God. And that's what James is warning against. He's like, don't become selective hearers because when we just hear it, we can change it. We can change what we want it to be. Well, here's what, how that looks like. So the word of God is being proclaimed or you're doing your personal Bible study. And what we do is we go, well, it's not talking about me. Like, that's not me. Like, he's talking about Bob, the crazy drummer on stage. Like, I know that guy, right? That's who he's talking about, right? Or he's talking about Ben, that nutso youth pastor at that church. Or he's talking about this guy that I know that, man, he just has horrible anger issues. He's not talking about me or this, this being preached. He's not talking about me. He's talking about that person whose marriage is in shambles. I know who he's talking about. And, I, and listen, this has been said to me before. Well, I just don't feel like I'm being fed. I don't feel like what you're covering. Listen, the word of God, the Logos, is, is quick and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And when we're just hearers and selective hearing, it's very easy to go, well, that's not my problem. That's not, he's not talking to me, so I don't have to worry about it. We become hearers. We hear the theology being presented. We hear God's word, and in turn, we can twist it and we deceive ourselves. It's not about me. And what James is saying is it is about us. It is about us. He's talking to believers and he's saying, guys, we gotta be careful that we don't just become hearers, but we become doers and performers of the Christ that is living in us. In verse 23, look at the example that he gives. I love this. Verse 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and right away forgets what kind of man that he was. So it's this idea that we, when the word of God is presented, it's like we're, we're smacked face to face with who we are. And what James is saying, when we're just hearers, we look in the mirror of our life and we go, well, God's talking about that blemish that's over here. I don't have a blemish over here. My blemish is over here. So I don't gotta worry about it. That's what he's saying. Like, okay, well, God's talking about that blemish, that guy, you know, lust. Well, I don't struggle with lust. I have a pride issue, but that's over here. So I don't have to pay attention to that. He says, we look at ourselves and we, then we go away forgetting what kind of man we really were. And it also, it has this idea that at some point, because it says that goes away, means it's in the Greek, it's the perfect tense, which means he goes away and never returns. Some of us, at the moment of salvation, when we actually gave our life to Christ, we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, we surrendered our life because all of a sudden the gospel was presented and God revealed himself to us and he revealed to us who we are in our sinful, broken state before God and we were burdened by that and we knew we needed help, we needed a savior, so we gave our life to Christ, but then what happens is we walk away from that mirror and we never return. We never return to the mirror to look and say, okay, where's my obedience with God like, where's my lifestyle? What does it look like? Am I closer to Christ now than when I was? Am I developing this idea of doing? We never go back to the mirror. We're content just to see it one time, have Christ wash away all of our sin, know we're going to heaven, be content never to go back to look at it again. And we become selective listeners. Well, John's not talking about my thing today, so I don't have to deal with it. And I can go away forgetting what kind of person I really was before God. But in verse 25, He says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. The one that sees who he is at the moment of salvation, reflecting in the mirror his brokenness and his sinfulness before God and perseveres in front of that mirror, constantly keeping his life in check, making sure that there's no unconfessed sin in his life, making sure that they're growing in their relationship with Christ. That person who perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts. If you go through and count the times the word doer is in this passage, it'll it, it blow your mind. 
but a doer who acts, this person will be blessed in what he does. And then he says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious, that word religious does not mean what we think about religion. It means worship. If a person thinks he is in a worshipful state without controlling his tongue but deceiving his heart, his religion, his worship is useless. Pure and undefiled religion or worship before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. Real quick, I love how the Bible ties everything together. If you can tell, I'm a little excited about this, all right? This is awesome. Written by over 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages over thousands of years span, about 1,500 years span, the Bible was written, yet everything ties together. Everything points to the next thing. There is nothing that is out of place or out of sync. And so when James is talking here, he says, hey, it's all about orphans and widows. What he's talking about is loving people. And he uses the example of widows and orphans because he's talking to a congregation. He's talking to a group of believers who had become a little self-important, who knew it was important to give lip service to orphans and widows, but, but that was about it. Like widows and orphans are beneath me. They're kind of outcasts. But don't misunderstand what James is saying. He's not saying the only job of the church is to look after orphans and widows. That's not what he's saying. He's using the analogy of people that we want to love people who can give us stuff in return, Right? We want to love people who can help elevate our status. We want to love people who can help us in some way or give us something. We don't really like loving people like widows and orphans who really have nothing to give back in return. So what James is saying by pointing out widows and orphans, he's pointing out the love of Christ that gives love in spite of what can be returned to them. Does that make sense? He's talking about loving people. Because that's true Christ-like love. And then he talks about, and the rest of that verse, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Then he talks about the idea of, like Paul said in Romans 12, that our, we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, that is our reasonable service. That we're supposed to live our life in such a way where we're not going to be perfect. But like, God, I want to live my life in such a way which pleases you. That I can, my, my life that I live is like a sacrifice to you that's pleasing to you. And so he's talking about loving God. Because if I love God, like I say I love God, then I want my body and my life to be pleasing to him, right? So James, in a different way, breaks it down, the same thing, exact thing that Jesus talked about in Luke when he was asked about what the greatest commandment is, and Jesus says to love God and love people. And James is saying the same thing. It's about loving God and loving people. And that's what our church is about, that we're a safe place for people to find and follow Jesus. And I just love what he says there. And I'm going to challenge you, you can read the rest of that passage because after he talks about that, he goes into showing favoritism with people and controlling our tongue. And it's, James is an amazing uh, letter, and I am encourage you to read it. But look at chapter 2, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers? And again, who is he talking to? Believers. He's not talking to unsaved or, or lost people. If someone says he has faith but does not have works. Now, what does he mean by works? If someone says he has faith but he's not a doer, okay? If someone says they have faith but they don't have works, can his faith save him? He's not telling believers that they're not saved. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying that you have to work for your salvation because there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There is no good in and of ourselves that we can even earn, deserve, or work for eternal life. We can't do it. So that's not what he's saying. In verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. So the idea is this. Winter's going to be here before you know it, right? I mean, just prepare yourselves. It's coming. Hopefully we don't have to cancel church, but it's coming, okay? It's going to be cold. It'd be like you coming in in January for two weeks in a row and you see a little kid come in and for two weeks in a row they don't have a jacket and they come in shivering and they're cold and you walk up to them and say, hey, hey buddy, I, I want you to stay really warm today, okay? And then walk away from them. It doesn't do them any good. They're not going to stay warm. Your words don't do anything, right? Your words to that little boy or that little girl is not going to keep them warm. It only helps if you do something, And that's what James is saying, that our lip service to God, saying, God, I believe in you. God, I believe in heaven and hell. God, I believe that Jesus died for me, doesn't help if we're not performing what Christ is doing in us. James is talking about this, and in verse 17, he says, faith without works is dead. Not that you have to work for your salvation. He's talking about evidence of salvation, proof that you have a relationship with Jesus. We talked about it a couple weeks ago and we used the word fruit that is evidence of your faith. Things in your life that reflect God's glory and invite people into the kingdom. Verse 18 of chapter two. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Then he says, show me your faith without works and I will show you faith from my works. In other words, what he's saying is the outpouring of my faith is my works. The result of my faith is doing. The result of the faith that's in me, that Christ living in me, the result of that is I am performing Christ. I am living that out. In verse 19, this is cool. He says, um, you believe that God is one. Congratulations. That's not what he said. said, You do well. He says the demons also believe and they shudder. One of the greatest theologians is Satan himself. He knows the Bible. You know Satan believes that there's one God. You know Satan firmly believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Satan firmly believes that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, and he rose again. But Satan's not going to heaven. Having this head knowledge that God exists and that Jesus died for us does not make you a Christian. There is only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. But with the mouth, confession is made, and with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Here's what it's saying. It's about surrendering to him, not making a commitment to him. See, when I make a commitment, what it means is I get to hold back. I get to have a little clause in that commitment that says, when it doesn't go my way, I can back out. That's a contract. That's a commitment. Surrender means I'm nothing. You're everything. I'm giving everything about me to you. And there's a huge difference. Salvation only happens when we're convicted with the reality that we're broken and we're sinful and that Jesus died for us and we surrender to him. We surrender totally to Jesus and we give him our life. It's not about works because I can't work for it. I can't buy it. I can't be good enough. Jesus did the work for me. And because of that, if I have a true relationship with Jesus, I'm not gonna be just a hearer. I'm not going to be just a consumer. I'm going to be a doer because there's going to be evidence of the Holy Spirit living in me. And the outpouring of my works is evidence of that, reflecting God's glory and bringing people into the kingdom. Jesus says there's evidence of spiritual life. You can sum up the whole letter of James in James 1.19. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Manny and I have been married for 19 years 
and there's fruit to our relationship. There's evidence that I'm a married man. One is I'm fatter now than I was when I got married, right? There's some men that are chuckling, and it's okay. You get that. Manny feeds me really well. I'm not as thin as I used to be. Another evidence of a relationship is I wear a ring. This ring is a symbol that there's a relationship, and it's worn on a specific finger to show that somebody looks at me, he's got a ring on that finger, that guy's a married man. And if I take my ring off, there's still evidence because my skin has formed around my ring and it's pale after being in the sun all week. There's evidence, there's fruit of a relationship that's there. We have three boys. And I'm not gonna go into how children are made. We'll talk about that in our family series. We start in a couple weeks, all right? Um, But we have three kids, which is fruit and evidence that there's a relationship there. We communicate together. There's intimacy in our marriage. I don't do things with other women because I've made a commitment to Manny. So there's fruit in our rela- that there's a relationship, that I'm a married man. There's fruit that reflects this relationship. And we have fruit and evidence for all kinds of relationships in our life. But for some reason, when it comes to our relationship with God, a lot of us are okay with no fruit. A lot of us are okay with no evidence of that. Like we give God a lot of lip service. We become hearers. We take it in. We go through the little Christian checklist, Right? But when we stop and examine, is there fruit in our lives? Are there people that we are winning? Are we bringing glory to God? Are we inviting people into the kingdom? Is there evidence of that relationship? And that's what James is talking about. Do you know when it comes to determining whether there's uh, something is alive or not, that scientists actually have a, a checklist for that. Did you know that? And there's actually seven. But other scientists have boiled it down and made it simple. There's four benchmarks that a scientist will take an organism and look at it to determine whether it's alive or not. And it has to have all four. One of them is, the first benchmark is, does it grow? Is is there growth? Um, Or is there potential for growth? I'm still growing, uh, but I'm not growing taller. I'm just growing out this way. But at some point in my development, there was growth. Like I wasn't born this big, okay? Um, At some point, there was growth and potential of growth. So it has to grow to meet the first benchmark. The second benchmark, whether something is alive, is does it metabolize? Okay, so here's your fifth grade science lesson this morning. Okay, metabolization is this. An organism taking one thing and converting it into another thing for energy, okay? Uh, That's a very simple definition for it. Taking one thing and converting it to another thing, that's metabolism. Trees do it all the time. Trees have leaves. The leaf takes the sunlight and through a process of photosynthesis turns, I said that word really well, turns the sunlight into sugars that it uses for energy. You and I, when we eat food, our digestive system breaks down every piece of food we eat into very simple sugars that we we use to either store or use for energy, okay? That's metabolism, taking one thing and converting it into another thing. The third benchmark is, does it respond to a stimulus? Does does it respond to a stimulus? Uh, Growing up, uh, I grew up in Texas and my parents, we have a lot of pecan trees in our yard which is really awesome when they drop their big fat pecans and they're amazing and pecan pie. I'm getting off track. That's okay. All right. So, but we have lots of pecan trees. We had some pecan trees. Well, one year we went and bought an Eastern pine tree and we planted it over by the fence and Eastern pine trees grow really fast. And this pine tree was about 30 or 40 feet from one of our existing pecan trees. And within about two years, the pine tree had cast a lot of shade over where the pecan tree was growing. And you were able to see not overnight, but over the span of a couple years, that pecan tree changed the way it was growing. Totally changed the angle that it was growing to get more sunlight because the stimulus of no sunlight caused the pecan tree to change, to adapt, so it could still live. 
It responded to a stimulus. Growing up, I responded to the stimulus of my daddy's belt, okay? Some of you were raised the same way, right? Like when I messed up, I knew what was coming. And so over time, I tried not to do those behaviors to get the whipping. But then sometimes I just couldn't help myself because I am a hard-headed fool, all right? But I responded to stimulus by I tried to stuff things in the back of my pants, but my dad's a very smart man. When he saw his little deformed son walking in there to receive his spanking, the, the gig was up, right? But I responded to a stimulus, and so do you. We respond to stimulus. And so that's the third benchmark of whether something's alive. And the last one is, does it reproduce? Now, reproduction is not just procreation, though that is like an organism that is able to reproduce in its kind and procreate a new creature, but it's also reproducing cells. While you're sitting here right now, you're reproducing skin cells like crazy. You're reproducing cells all over your body. Reproducing. Does it meet those benchmarks to be alive? And here's the deal. Totally different lesson for a different time. But you know at the moment of conception, at the moment the sperm meets the egg and new life is conceived, that embryo in the womb has all four of those characteristics from the moment of conception. But yet scientists totally throw out their whole definition of what life is, and they totally change it to meet that thing. Totally different message for a different time. I just thought you might want to know that. It drives me crazy. Four benchmarks for whether there's life or not. And what I love is James is pointing out to us that there are certain spiritual benchmarks and markers that we can look at to see to point to new life that are evidence of the Holy Spirit living in us. Just like there's markers to determine whether an organism is alive, there's spiritual markers to determine whether you and I are spiritually alive. That we can take a look at our life in inventory and go, okay, am I meeting some benchmarks? Am I really a doer or am I just a hearer? And James is talking about obedience. Is there evidence? So here's the spiritual life markers if you want to know. Number one, are you growing? Are you growing? Healthy things grow. If you had a child that was 10 years old and was the same size they were when they were a toddler, you're going to be bringing your child to the doctor. And they're going to run some tests because healthy things grow. Healthy Christians grow. Healthy churches grow. And not just numerically, but when you have a church that's full of healthy Christians that are spiritually healthy, we can't help but go out and invite other people to come and be a part of what God is doing because healthy things grow. There are people that at some point they gave their life to Christ, but they never grew. They're just content to come and be a hearer. And what James is saying is, no, we've got to be obedient in our growth. And here next month in September, we're starting our new, our, our fall round of grow groups, small groups. And I'm going to challenge everybody here, you need, you need to be a part of a small group. There'll be sign-up lists out there, and you can sign up for one. If you go to Grow Group, you don't like it, there'll be another one you can sign up to and go to. But you need to be a part of a small group. Getting just one hour a week in here is not enough. If this is all you're getting, it'd be like you just eating one time a week. It's not enough to stay healthy. But when you are around a smaller group, you can get challenged to go deeper to help challenge you, to keep you accountable, to encourage you, and you're missing out. You're not going to grow if this is all you're getting. Everybody understand? Get involved in a small group. In, in here, it's a lecture. I'm just talking to you. There's no feedback. There's no question and answer time. In a small group, you have a chance to interact, a chance to ask questions and go deeper. You need to be a part of a small group so you can grow. The second question for spiritual life marker is this. Are we metabolizing? 
Okay, what are you talking about metabolizing? It's a spiritual life marker. Are you converting what you hear, what you say you believe, into action? Are we taking in the word of God and converting it into action? Are we taking in what we say we believe and putting some motion behind that? Are we doing what we say we believe? In here, we're very homogenous in our, in our beliefs. If you're a believer, if, you're, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we will all say, yes, there's one God. Yes, his son is Jesus Christ. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he rose again. Yes, one day he's coming back. We believe these things. We believe in the sanctity of marriage. We believe in the sanctity of human life. And wouldn't be much disagreement in this room. But what are you doing about it? That's the question. It really doesn't matter what you say you believe if you're not saying what you believe. And if you're not doing what you believe. Problem becomes, are we really metabolizing? Are we taking what we believe and putting it into action? And if not, James would say we're missing a spiritual life marker. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. We gotta evaluate that. The third question on the spiritual life marker, are we responding to a stimulus? So as a believer, what is our stimulus? What has God put inside of us that every believer that we're supposed to respond to? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before he left this earth, after he was crucified, buried, and rose again, he spent some time with his disciples. And he says, I'm going to send you. I'm leaving. I'm going to send you a comforter. This comforter is going to not just comfort you. It's going to convict you. It's going to challenge you. It's going to motivate you. It's going to point out areas that you need to, to stop doing things or start doing things. And he's dwelling in us. And it's a beautiful thing of what used to happen in the Old Testament when they had the tabernacle or temple. And there was the Holy of Holies. And the Shekinah glory of God dwelt in that. And only the high priest could go in there once a year. And there was a huge thick curtain that separated so that nobody else could have access to that. But when Jesus died, that veil, that curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom. And now the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. We don't need to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a tabernacle. That we have direct access to God because God is dwelling in us. And God dwelling in us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's going to work in your life. There's going to be times you feel uncomfortable when the word of God is preached. There's going to be times you feel uncomfortable when you do your Bible study because the Holy Spirit is moving and working and knocking off some rough edges, pointing out some things that we need to do, some things we need to stop doing. And the question is, are we responding to that stimulus? Are we responding to the Holy Spirit? Or we push them away. Listen, if you're reading your Bible and you feel this tug in your heart and this movement, like saying, like, you know you need to do something, can I give you a clue? That's not Satan, okay? If you're listening to a sermon on giving or forgiving or, or serving or whatever, listen, and you feel like, man, I need to, I need to serve. I need to serve. That's not Satan. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. So then the question becomes, what do you do about it? Do you respond to that prompting or do you push it away? The mark of spiritual life, just like the mark of, of, of physical life, is that we respond to this, that stimulus. Are we obedient in that? But we put it off. We don't want to respond. And there's lack of fruit in your life. There's lack of being a doer in your life. And the last one of spiritual life markers is are we reproducing? Are we acting out? Are we performing out what Christ has done in us? Are we reproducing in others what Christ has done in us? Are we giving that message out? Are we sharing our faith? Are we being doers of the word of Christ? Are we being performers of Christ? And that's what this whole series has been about. Who's your one? Who are you chasing after? 
Who are you pursuing with everything you've got because you don't want them to spend eternity in hell because you want them to know Jesus and you can't force them. That's all, that's the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. But we're his mouthpiece. Just like in life, if you're missing one of those four markers, you're clinically dead. You're not growing, you're not responding to stimulus, you're not metabolizing, you're not reproducing, you're clinically dead. So how about our spiritual life? Are we missing some of these spiritual life markers? Are we just hearers and not really doers? You might be like, well, I mean, today I'm not really doing that good. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about if you looked overall from the moment you gave your life to Christ to today, is there fruit? Is there evidence that Christ is living in you? Can you point to some things in your life? You say, yes, I'm not perfect, but man, there's evidence, there's fruit, there's some things I can point to. And when James would say, be a doer, I can point to some things and say, yes, I performed Christ. I lived out Christ in this instance, in that instance. And if you're like, yes, I have some of those, then let me ask you a second question. How long has it been? How long has it been? It's not a thing where we can go to the mirror once and say, okay, yeah, I got that taken care of and walk away. James said the man that wants to be blessed by God, the woman that wants to be blessed by God is someone who dwells in front of the word of God, constantly revealing our brokenness and our, and our sinfulness and the things that he wants us to do and revealing our burden for others, constantly standing in front of that mirror. God, reveal to me what you want me to do and then acting on that and responding to that stimulus, the Holy Spirit. Are you closer to Jesus today than the day you got saved? If not, if you're still the same person, you might want to reevaluate and go, did I really surrender my life or did I just make a commitment to Jesus? Are you responding to the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're sitting here right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now. I don't know. Are you going to push him away again or are you going to respond? Are you converting what you say you believe into action? Or is it all just lip service? And the hardest one that we struggle with the most is are we reproducing? Are we finding our one and finding another one? When it comes to inviting someone to making relationships with people to try and introduce them to Jesus, I mean, honestly, have you ever shared your story with anyone? Have you ever spoken about Jesus to anyone? Are you even excited that you were snatched out of the grip of hell, the very gates of hell, and get to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven forever? Does that bring you any kind of happiness or joy at all? And if the answer is yes, then the other question is, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Am I missing any of these spiritual life markers? And if so, if I'm missing some of them, is it because I have a lack of obedience or faith, which happens sometimes? Or am I missing some spiritual life markers because there's really no new life in me? Because I might have made a commitment, but I never surrendered. We're not playing around anymore. There's so many spiritual zombies walking around that appear to be alive, but they're dead because they're missing these spiritual life markers because they're hearers of the word, but they're not doers. And it's human nature. The apostle Paul even struggled with it. But if we're living for ourselves, then we're not going to reproduce. We're not going to respond to the Holy Spirit. We're not going to live out what we say we believe. We're not going to go deeper in our relationship with Christ because we're too busy living for ourselves. And we come off as looking alive but our selfishness just takes precedent and chokes the life out of us. And what happens is we end up with a lot of churches with no passion, a lot of churches with no urgency, a lot of churches with no burden, and no excitement about what James is talking about, being obedient and not being hearers, but being doers. Because we spend so much time chasing ourselves. Like, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to let go of me. Well, if you're holding on to something and you're trying to walk 
Are you going to walk in a straight line? You're going to walk in a circle. Well, I want to follow Jesus. I, I'm a good hearer. And I want to I will give God lip service. God, I love you. I want to serve your church. I want to give. I want to go. I want to share my faith, but I don't want to let go of me. So Jesus might be there. We might start off really well, but at some point, the slack's going to catch up with us, and we're just going to end up walking in a circle. And every now and then, we might get another glimpse of Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in our life. Yeah, I know I need to do that, but I don't want to let go of me. And some of us, our whole life looks like that revolving door. Because we're here, but we're not doing. And to do, we got to let go. we got to let go of us. We're missing some spiritual life markers. You say you have faith all day long, like James says, but James says, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Where are the markers that show that there really is spiritual life? Not perfection, because we'll never be perfect. But is there evidence? Can I point to things in my life to show, yes, Christ is living in me, and I am performing Christ in my life? Are we hearers or are we doers? Who's your one? James says, don't be a hearer only. You've got to be a doer. You've got to perform Christ. Live out the story that was given to you because Jesus lives in you. Let me have you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, church, just for a moment. Again, the question is, who's your one? Are we growing? Are we living what we say we believe? Are we about lip service or are we about his service? This is, a, this is a hard, I get it. This is, this is hard for me because I can look at my life and yes, there's fruit in my life, but there's some days like I'm lacking in a lot of that too because I'm not perfect either. I want to be a doer. I want to be a performer. I want to live Christ who lives in me. And to be honest, there's some days I do it better than others. There's some days I really fail but I want to spend as much time as I can in front of that mirror. Begging God, God revealed to me, where, where, do I, where am I broken? Where do I need to fix? What do I need to do? Who do I need to talk to? Some of us need to come back to the mirror this morning and ask God to reveal that to us. And if the Holy Spirit is working in your life this morning, then the question is, are you going to respond to that? No, you don't have to come down here. Now, it's great sometimes as an act of, of just submission to God to come down and get on our, our knees and just pray to God and ask him, hey, help me be accountable to what you're doing. But you don't have to. You can respond to God however he calls you to respond. I don't care how you respond. Whether you come forward, whether you do it in your chair, the question is when you walk out those wooden doors in just a minute and then you go out the glass doors in the parking lot, is anything different? Are you still just going to be a hearer? Are you going to be a doer? When I get in my car and I drive home, am I going to be a hearer? Am I going to be a doer? And that's really what it comes down to. So I don't know how God is working in your life, but I know in this series that we've been pointed out, we've been challenged to find people and share our story, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And now it's time to do it. It's time to put feet to what we say we believe. We say we believe in heaven. We say we believe in hell. We say we believe there's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. But if we're not telling people about how to get there. It means nothing. Nothing. And we get all emotional in here and ah, I need to do that, but it's time to put some motion to our emotion. 
start to act and be a doer. So however the Holy Spirit has worked in your life this morning, will you respond to that? Will we be able to say that we're a church of people who are doing? We're not just soaking it in. We're not just consumers. We're doing it. We're going to reach our neighbor. We're going to reach our community. We're going to reach this city. We're going to reach this state. We're going to reach this world. We're going to do everything we can that God has empowered us to do because it's all about him anyway. But we're going to be faithful to do what it is that he has called us to do, which is to be a doer and not a hearer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this time this morning. Sometimes, God, your word is hard for us to hear. It's difficult because it points out areas of our life like this mirror is just thrown in our face of the times that we're not saying things we need to say, the times we're not doing things we need to be doing. And God, this morning as we've looked at James and what he has said, as you, as you inspired him to write this letter, we've got to stop kidding ourselves. We've got to stop lying to ourselves. If our faith is real in us, then the faith needs to be real out of us. It needs to go somewhere. It needs to do something. So God, I pray you forgive me for the times that I have sat on it. I've just been a consumer, God, and reveal even more of that to me so I can be even more faithful to you, God, because I want to please you. And God, for your church that's here this morning, I pray for some obedience for all of us as we respond, as the Holy Spirit has worked in our hearts over the last few sessions. God, we'll leave out these doors and actually be a doer of what you called us to do for your glory and your honor. God bless the rest of our time as we, as we worship one more time. God, you work in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me this morning as we sing? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit morningstardayton.org and choose Contact Us.